We're gonna. We're so glad you're you're here, amen. And we we want to hear what God's got to say, amen. Hallelujah. We we've talked about uh, Nehemiah chapter one in the last months, but we need to look at it again tonight. A little bit different. Uh, we're gonna look at the title tonight of what can one person do. What can one person do? I think we there we go. I think we have a title slide there. What can one person do? And so that's sometimes we, have you ever asked that question? What in the world can I do? You see a big problem, you see a situation, your heart's stirred, and you ask the question, what can I do? I'm not, am I, can I do anything to make a difference? We're going to see how one person, God can use just one. He, 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 want, he will use just one, if that's what it takes, to change the heart of a nation. And today, tonight, it could be yours that he uses tonight to make a difference. And that's what we're trying to stir you. Tonight, if you could stand for the reading of the word, Nehemiah, we're going to read that first chapter. It's 11 verses. And we're going to look at what can one person do. Verse 1 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left to the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words... Then I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants, are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord. I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that, God, you stir us, God. You, you prepare us, God, when you need us, Lord, to, Lord, get a hold of you, to stand in the gap for our nation before other souls. 
Almighty God, I pray that you would open our eyes and realize, God, instead of us waiting and looking for someone else to stand in the gap, Lord, instead of us looking for someone else to, God, call out on you, and Lord, do something, God, that you would give us the heart, the burden, God, that we would be the person you could use. God, open our eyes. Take the scales from our eyes. Almighty God, that we could see clearly. And we thank you for it. Move in this service. Speak tonight. And Lord, draw us in this altar. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. This, this, this man, Nehemiah, was someone that God used. And he was a layman. He was just, he was just someone like you and me. He was just someone who was a... Jew that was had been uh, his whole life had been in captivity and he had a job and it was a good job it was a really good job uh, he was a very trustworthy person uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute but we see that this person this he, he is going to find out we looked at last week Esther and for such a time as this that God had his hand on her and he raised her up himself and put her in a high position so that she would be right where he needed her so that she could intercede for her people because the enemy wanted to destroy. This is a hundred years later. And guess what? It's in the same city. Same exact city. They're in the winter palace of the Persian king. This man, Nehemiah, was a Jew, but he was very trusted. In fact, he was the cupbearer for the king. Now, some of, the, some of the writers that I was reading, it's talked about at this exact time, the cupbearer was actually promoted to a position that was not the, the normal cupbearer was the person who, hand, and you had to trust them because they were the one that handed the king his drink. And they would drink it first to prove that uh, if somebody was trying to kill the king, they would kill them first. And so it was a pretty risky situation you were in. But the king had to trust you because you were the one handing him and you could be poison in that cup. So he had to trust you. At this point, they had been elevated to a position that this person really, they said, didn't even hand the, the king. They were exalted to almost to a high official and advisor to the king. This man was a very important individual that the king trusted and leaned on him for wisdom and for instruction. So he was in a good position, and he was still living faithful to God. But we see that God, it was no coincidence that he was where he was. Because God was going to, was going to use him and was going to use his connection to the king to be able to uh, rebuild the walls. We're not going to go through, we're just going to look at chapter 1. We're not going to get to the walls, maybe we'll do that next week. But tonight we're going to look at, because... Nehemiah did something, it wasn't him, God was able to do something with his life in 52 days that had been worked on for 65 years before this date. 50 years, okay, so, so what am I talking about? 50, or back up further, the, the, the Israel had turned their back on God and uh, Nebuchadnezzar came down and took them into captivity. Because they wouldn't hear the, the word of God. And they kept disobeying. And the, so after he did that, they still didn't listen. And 20 years later, Nebuchadnezzar came, or the Babylonians came back, and they wiped the city out. They broke down the walls. They burned the gates. And destruction was complete. Because they wouldn't hear God. They wouldn't repent. 50 years passed. Those, that city was just a shamble. People wept because 
the temple was tore completely down. The gates were broke or burned in the walls. It was a, it was a sad state. It was a testimony, a visual picture of what happens to nations who turn their back on God. And that was what it did. Fifty years later, one of the kings allowed them, I think it was Cyrus, let them go back and said the Jews could go back and rebuild. And so 50,000 Jews went back to rebuild. And that was after a 50-year period that that happened. They met opposition. Anytime, just right now, we, if we try to rebuild and we try to get closer to God, you, the enemy is going to oppose you. You know that? He's going to oppose. How, how many knows that he, he opposes us? Hey, you try to do anything. Hey, you try to get here and come to prayer meeting, and there'll be wrecks in front of you on the interstate, won't they? There'll be all kinds of stuff to keep you out of the prayer meeting or whatever you're trying to do. You try to get up tomorrow morning, and, and your, and your back clock will just quit working tonight. It won't, you won't get up. You'll wake up late for work. You won't have time to. Whatever you do, the enemy will do everything he can to resist you rebuilding anything. You, ain't, he don't want to, he, you just keep going the way you are. He's happy with that. So we see that there was an attempt. There was a group that went back to rebuild, but they met opposition. And in fact, the opposition was so great, it took 20, they didn't get the walls up. It took 20 years just to get the temple back, trying to get it back in order. 20 years. Because every time they turned around, they were meeting opposition that was trying to discourage that from happening. The Lord knows that he wants his people back. But and right even in the time we live in, there is an opposition to keep people out of the house of God. Right? Like never before in our lifetime. And it's all under the, uh, it's called, it's called uh, you know, concern for you know, different things right now. But it's not, you know, it's not, we don't want you to go to church. We want to protect you. And that's all great and dandy. But here's the deal. There is a move to keep us out of the house of God. Fifteen years, or, or uh, about, I don't know, maybe fifteen years after that, uh, or a period after that, uh, Ezra went was sent back. Fifteen years before this period we're looking at today, Ezra goes back, and he is the second group that goes back, and he took a remnant back with him, and they're going to try to finish the job that didn't get done. So there's not been communication. So we, Nehemiah, hadn't heard how it turned out. He sent them back. They too ran into opposition every time they tried to put those walls up. Every time they tried to keep the enemy out, they came and opposed them. In fact, they sent letters back to the king and got him to stop it from happening because they told lies. They're trying to, to separate themselves from you. They're trying to rebel against you. And so they, they got the king to even say, stop. And so now this has been a 15-year period that comes to this. And it's not a coincidence. God is, your life, you may think that you are just a coincidence, but God, just like we looked at last week, could have raised you up for today. You don't even know. Nehemiah thought he knew exactly what he was raised up to do. He had a good job. He could have went back, but he didn't. He had a good job. He enjoyed what he did. He had a good position. But we see that his real purpose was not to cut bearer the king. His real purpose that he found out was that he was to rebuild the city and, to let, and God's presence was good. He was going to have a real purpose that was more important than anything else he'd ever done in his life. He had no idea until this day right here. So we see that he's, in the, he's doing his job. He's faithful. He's a good man. The king trusts him. And then all of a sudden, his life turned around. Let me, let me tell you something. 
God has wants to, right now. He's looking for people. I, I didn't put it in. I put it in here and lost it. They're the most one of the saddest scriptures. I've told you this before. It's just a few chapters back in scripture. It's an Ezekiel, and it's talking about. And if you read it, I forget it's maybe Ezekiel ten. And God is t- bringing judgment on His people, and He's telling them what because you turn, because you betrayed me, because you've loved all these other gods, and you've rejected me. All the judgment He's going to bring. Bring. And this is true about God. Listen, God is a God of judgment. He is. But before he's a God of judgment, he's a God of mercy. He looks to give mercy. He does that even today. Why does it say in 2 Peter that the reason he hasn't came back yet? Because his mercy. He's trying to extend his mercy so that people will get saved. He doesn't want for people to be lost. So he extends his mercy and mercy, mercy. So we see that he offers his mercy. And then it gets down to that last verse in that chapter. And it says basically that it says that his eyes, he looked for a man. And it could be a woman. He looked for a man to stand in the gap. To person to stand in the hedge for this nation. So that he would not destroy it. And the saddest thing in the world, it says, and he could not find one. He couldn't find one. Tonight, God's looking across a nation that is, is, is going the wrong way in such a fast speed. One that's heading for destruction. And God is looking for men and women and says, can I find someone who will stand in the gap for a nation? And so that's what he's doing here. He's looking for someone to stand in the gap for his people and for those to rebuild. And so he finds a man who has a heart he can use. Tonight, we're going to look and see, are we the person that God can use like Nehemiah? First, when God, if God, can one person make a difference? One person can make a difference. And the way it starts is first, number one, God will burden your heart. That's the first thing he does. The first thing he does, he will burden your heart. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1 tells us about, Nehemiah had a burden. His brother comes. But Nehemiah is the one who's asking the question. It says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chizlu, the 20th year. That's the 20th year of this king, of his reign, which is about 39 or 40 years he's in the middle of his reign. And I was at Shushan, the palace. I was in a good spot. I had everything I needed. And all of a sudden, my brother shows up. It says one of my brethren, Hananiah, one of my brethren came, he and certain men of, the Jew, of Judah, and I asked them, I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. He had a burden. He wanted to know. He knew that there was a group that went back to rebuild and finish these walls and get this temple in operation. And he was, and God was already before this, was already stirring him. And soon he'd been waiting for someone to give him some news. And finally he's seen some men. They're going to be able to tell me what's going on. And so we see God gave him a burden. You know, God... First, before you, you know, we're looking at praying. We're looking at seeking God. You can't pray the way you should if you don't have a burden. It's one thing you, someone, when someone comes, if somebody tonight had prayer request and we pray for them and we heard a name we didn't know and we pray and we say, and we're, we, and, it, and it, I know it works. I mean, I know God hears this, but let me tell you the difference. If you pray for a name, somebody that's sick and you pray and, and, and you're like, oh God, meet that need and touch that person. And, and we know God hears that. 
But how much more powerful is this? When that's someone you care about. When that's someone that you know that it's your family. Or that's someone that you got in your hearts. Uh, 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 you see what's going on in their life. You see how desperate this need is. And you come up and you're the person that says, would you please pray for somebody? And tears is running down your face. Why? Because you have a burden for that person. You realize that person needs God. If you don't touch them, they're suffering in a horrible way. And all of a sudden, a you see in their face, there's a burden there. God loves a somebody with a burden. The first thing that God will do is he'll give you a burden. God will tell you, you'll, you'll start looking at the situation in somebody's life, in your family's life, somebody else that you see at work or in, in our nation, and all of a sudden you'll feel troubled and you'll be looking around. God, who you, Lord, do you see what's going on? Who, who are you going to use? God, somebody's going to have to do something. Guess what? God put a burden on your heart. God just put a burden on your heart. That's why you're looking for someone to step up it could be that it's you. So first, God starts by putting a burden. And we need, listen, we, we don't need to make excuses why we don't have one. It, 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 we need a burden. And I've been, I've been praying, God, give me a burden. Give me a burden. Let me see the way. George Bernard Shaw made this statement. He wrote a play called The Devil's Disciple. And he made this statement I think is important that we hear what it says. It says, the worst sin toward fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. This, and that's the essence of inhumanity. He's saying that it's it, worse than even hating somebody is to not even care what happens to them. And so we need a burden tonight to be able to say, God, God, don't let us look at what's going on and not be burdened. One of the reasons that we can do that is because where we live, we don't see all the destruction that's going on. Where we live, we don't see people gunned down in streets. We don't see all the buildings burning. We don't see people afraid and moving out by the, by the droves and thousands and thousands moving out of cities because they're so fearful they're afraid to even come out of their house. We don't see see the destruction that's going on. We don't see it. And so we can sit here, and as long as it doesn't come to our house, as long as it doesn't show up on, in our neighborhood or our streets, we can look at what's going on around us, and we can say, Lord, please help them, but there's not the burden that we need to have. But you let it show up at our house. You let it show up in our cities. You let it show up in our community, and we'll start praying. We'll start praying. And so God wants us to have a burden. You know, it's, it's like, it's like if, you, if you go out and you, we talk about we're praying for people that has drug problems. But when you're out there and you see and with EMS, I've seen a lot of that. I'm sure Steve has seen a lot of that. You get out there and you see these people in their condition in their own home. When you go work that corner run to where you go and you see this 24-year-old who overdosed and he's laying there against the wall and he went into eternity in an overdose, then all of a sudden it comes home. And you realize and you say, God, what are we going to do about this? But until you see that, it's just somebody else. God, give us a burden. Amen. God, give us a burden that we can see the condition of our nation. God will burden your heart. Listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about when God burdens your heart. God will never burden your heart for anything that God isn't able to turn around. God will not put it on your heart to seek Him or to be burdened for something or to pray or stand in the gap if God is not sitting there ready to turn that situation around if you'll do what He asks you to do. God's looking right now. He wants to turn things. He wants to, our nation is not so far gone that it can't come back if we would just call out on Him right now. Those people we're praying for, they are still here and God can still move, but we've got to get a hold of Him right now. 
We can't wait until the worst things happen. And then we say, oh God, what are we going to do? And God said, if you'd have stood in the gap, if I, you would have let me put a burden, things could be different. So we're going to see the first thing that God does is when he tries to turn things, is he, he puts a burden on people's heart. He put a burden on Nehemiah's heart. He wanted to know what was going on. He was concerned about his people. He had everything going great, but he still loved his people. He still cared. You know what else God will do? God will open your eyes. He'll not only put a burden in your heart, he'll open your eyes so you can see what's going on. Verse 3 says that he did that to Nehemiah. It says, and what did they say to him when he asked that question? It says that the remnant, that small group that went back, that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. All of a sudden, he got a visual picture that his people, that the rest of his, some of the people that he loved and cared about, his family that went back, people that he cared about, that he was hoping he was going to get a testimony of revival and, and how everything's going good. And all of a sudden, he finds out that it's not, it's not any, but it's worse. And in fact, the enemies are coming through the gates. They can't do anything. They can't have any possessions. They can't worship God. They can't rebuild their families. They can't fix their homes. They can't have anything in their life because as soon as they do anything, the enemy's just able to walk right through, right in on top of them and steal everything they've got. Come in and kill them if they don't do what they tell them to do. They are under attack. And you look at that and you look at today. Are we not under attack? Is not the enemy trying to destroy our nation? I, I, I'm just, let me tell you something. It's, it's incredible. It's horrible. And we're sitting here in a, in a situation that if we just look with our eyes, we can see that our nation is under attack. It cannot resist the enemy that's coming in. The enemy's coming in like a flood. You know what? That tells us quicker than anything else that time is short because the enemy is in a frenzy trying to destroy our nation. Our nation is the only thing that's holding back the darkness that wants to come rushing. Our nation is the only thing that holds back the Middle East from destroying Israel. Our nation is the only thing that's keeping some ruthless countries from, from, uh, uh, with nuclear weapons. And our nation is the good that has been holding back some of this God's people that he put in this nation that's praise for people. That we're the only, we're the only and it looked like we was about to betray them recently, but we, the, the Jews knows we are the most important thing they've got, the, the ally, the, the asset. And God promises he will bless the nation that blesses his people. And so we need to realize how important it is. He needs to open our eyes. He needs for us to be able to see. It says that these 50, they were in a reproach, that they were a mockery. They had no security. It would be like tonight if you go home and, and, you, and you had no doors on your house. Can you imagine if there was holes in the wall next to your bed and anybody or any animal or anything else could just walk straight into your bedroom in the middle of the night and you were worried about your children and I can see them with their children sleeping in the very bed they're in so they could protect them because they have no idea, they have no protection against the enemy and these people that, are, that hate them. The people that are trying to take advantage of them. And so they're in under reproach. And these are God's people. We look at our nation tonight. This is a nation that God helped form. These are the, the people that we care about. Our families. And, and, and when I talk about our nation, it includes your families, right? And we care about our families. But every one of these cities is full of families. These, these people are people that have souls just like you and me. And it could be us in those cities. And them here, 
What would we want them to do if we were going through that fearful time? We want someone to pray for us. We want someone to see the need we're under and get a hold of God for us because some of these people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ because it's been blocked out and the enemy wants that. But God wants to bring revival and it's going to start with people who gets their eyes open. Who gets their eyes open. So God first, he's, he, starts out, he starts out by giving us a burden. We start feeling stirred about something and then he opens our eyes. You know what? You, you don't have near the burden for somebody until you see where they truly are. When you see how bad it really is and you see not only where they are, but you see where they could be. You see that what God wants to do in their life. And we see that where they truly are. And you see that all the enemy's stealing from them. And then all of a sudden the burden becomes more intense. Why? Because God opens your eyes so that you can see. God opens our eyes. Sometimes we don't want to see. Sometimes we say, Lord, I can't handle any more burden. I can't handle anybody else's problems. You know what? I, I, have to, I have to sit there and pray, God, don't let me be that way. Because every one of us, let me tell you what God, the enemy does. The enemy will show you your problems. And your problems really, they seem big. Sometimes they seem big. You've got all kinds of things you're dealing with today and you're worried about and you've got on your plate and you're wondering if anybody else even notices. And it seems huge to you. And so we focus on those and we have an excuse, right? We got our own problems. Somebody else will have to worry about everybody else. I got my own problems. But when we get, when God allows us to see clearly what other people are going through that we aren't, we all of a sudden realize, well, what I'm going through is not really that big compared to what this person is going through. When I see that the nation's in, a, in, the, in the balance and then I look at the little piddly things that's got my attention, then I have to say, God, please give me new eyes. Let me see the way you see. God, give me a burden like you've got. Because God looks down and his heart's broken for his people and God is in this nation. And he sees the damage that's going on. And he says, will anybody open their eyes and let me use them to get a hold of me for them? He uses you and me to stand. Could God come in and do it all himself? Yes, but that's not the way God works. God doesn't do that. God finds men and women who will get on their knees before God and say, God, I, I want to be someone you can use. And he will use people like you and me to stand in a nation, uh, stand in the gap for a nation. So he'll open her eyes. He'll burden her heart. You know what else he'll do? This, we don't want this. We don't want to go any farther. Lord, that's enough. Isn't it enough? You burden me. You open my eyes that I can see. And it, and it bothers me, Lord. It bothers, you know what he's trying to do? He wants to anguish your heart. He wants us to be anguished. Let me tell you something. When you get anguished, it, you, you act different. All of a sudden, the plans you had yesterday ain't important anymore. The things you got planned tomorrow, it ain't important anymore. When, our, we're, when we're anguished, if someone in your family gets bad news, someone in your family uh, uh, has a catastrophe in their, in their life, then we see all of a sudden your life changes and you have anguish. You cry out to God, Lord, you've got to move. You're the only one who can. So God wants to anguish us so that He can. But it's only because He wants to move. He's anguished. God looks at our lives. And He looks at the situations we're going through. And He is, he is so, uh, it troubles Him that He sees. And He's looking for someone to, to stand in the gap for these people. And so He wants to anguish us. Verse 4. Everybody pay attention. Verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, mourning certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What's happening here? God's anguish in his heart. He not only just seen it, because sometimes we can see it and we can say, oh, Lord, help them. 
Help them, Lord. Oh, that's horrible. And maybe we'll go call somebody. Did you see what's going on in somebody's life? Oh, it's horrible. You need to tell somebody else. And we, we can see things and it not changes. But when we see something and it gets a hold of our heart, we see that God anguishes our heart. All of a sudden, we take it personal. And all of a sudden, tears fill our eyes. And it says here that days he sat down and wept for his people and mourned. He's in great situation. By the way, he's 900 miles away. That's kind of important, I think. He's 900 miles away from this situation. And yet, when he hears what's going on with his people... His family, people he loves. It's God's people. God's people. And he sees what's going on. He is in such anguish that he doesn't do anything but pray and fast. He's not, nothing's important to him now. His job and how powerful he is, it's not important. He, it's, he, God, you've got to move. God wants to anguish us. Do you know how that impacts your prayer? When you come before God and you're crying out to God and true tears that's flowing down your face and says, God, you've got to turn our nation. God, when we see the condition that our people, our nation, a people that, that, that God is blessed and people that God wants to bless and God wants to pour out a revival and God wants to save families and God wants to fix all the killing that's going on in Chicago and other cities, all this murder that's going on, this, this satanic spirit that's coming against our nation to rip us apart. And we look at it and we say, God, this is your people. This is your nation. We are a people that you've blessed. And the very fact that we're here all through our history, you've moved and you've blessed. And all of a sudden, anguish fills our heart. And we pray and cry a whole lot different than we would have any other way. You know what? God used people throughout history to do this. God used someone humble like Moses to anguish for the people. They're, they're in the desert and going through the, the desert. And they do stuff that, man, they deserve God to wipe them out. And God's sitting there and saying, Just get out of the way. Move out of the way. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to raise up a whole new people. And, and, and some people would love to I'm going to raise up a brand new. Forget the covenant I've got with Abraham. I'm going to raise up a brand new people from you. Get out of my way. And Moses says, no, 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 God, no. Tears flowing down his face. No, God, you've got to remember these are you. God, God knew what he was going to do. He wanted someone to anguish, someone to stand in the gap for him, for the people. And there's two or three million people out here. And God's ready to wipe them out because they're worshiping other gods. They've turned their back on him in a moment's notice. And the only one that's serving him right now and faithful is, is Moses. And he says, no, God, don't do it. Don't do it. You're a faithful God. And they're going to say that you brought them out here to kill them. And then, God, if you take them out, you've got to take me out too. You've got to take me out first. And we see that he stood in a gap and God said, I'm hold off my anger. I, I, I won't destroy him. Why? He was anguished. Who else? Hannah was anguished because she wanted God to bless her for a child. And she was anguished in spirit. She couldn't even, she couldn't even make a noise. She just wept. In the, and what did God do? He answered. Who else anguished? Who else is our perfect example of anguishing over souls? Jesus Christ himself. He, he sits out of Jerusalem right before they kill him. Right before they crucify him. And he stands, on the, stands there overlooking the city of Jerusalem. Tears fills his face. And it says in Luke 13, 34. And here's what he's crying. Tears, you got to see him. He's standing there. He's weeping. Tears is flowing down his face. And he's looking at him. He's, he's quivering. And he's saying, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. Which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thee. The, gather thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. And you would not. 
You've got to see the way he's praying this. He's weeping. Why? He wants to do things and no one will listen. And so he wants to do things tonight. Can God anguish your heart? Can God anguish mine? We first have to let him open our eyes and give us a burden. We have to let him open our eyes so we can see the need and then he can anguish your heart. Number four, uh, it's God will then place you in the gap. There, there, there's an intercession that's got to happen. Now you see the need. Now your heart's broken. Now you see what the situation is. God's raised you up for a very purpose. And so now you get in that spot and you say, God, you can't. You've got to do something. This is, where, this is where God has brought you to. This is where God is bringing you to is this place. In verse 5, he stood in the gap for the people. He, they, they've been trying for 65 years to do this, and he's going to stand in the gap. Verse 5 says, and, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. He's talking about its, its respect, its awe. God, you're an awesome, powerful, mighty God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them. He's reminding God, God, you yes, you, you deserve to do what you did to the people because they rejected you, but you're also a God of mercy for them that love him. And observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive. Listen to me, Lord. Let thine eyes be open that thou might hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee night and day. I'm seeking them. I'm standing in a gap. Lord, I'm standing, Lord, in the middle of this situation between them and you. They're 900 miles away, but I'm standing right here, God, between me and them, Lord. And between you and them, God, I stand here. And it says, I pray for them, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. And verse 7 says, And we have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. When we sit here and look at God, and we look at the condition of our nation, how many of us can stand here and say, God, I'm innocent. God, we're, not, we're here because of what they've done. Thank God it's not me. No, when we sit here and God opens our eyes so that we can see ourselves as he sees us, then we can clearly say, just as he did here, oh God, I'm one of them. Oh, God, I need your mercy as much as the rest of them. He stood in the gap and said, Lord, they're, they're, they're receiving judgment. And, God, you poured out your judgment justly. They deserve it. But, God, I also know that the word says you're a God that brings judgment, but you're also a God of mercy. You gave mercy before they sinned. And you brought judgment because they rejected that. But, God, you're a merciful God. And Scripture tells us that. And, God, I'm standing on your, I'm standing on your word that you're going to bring mercy. You know what I'm asking for us to do right now? I want to ask God for mercy before any more judgment comes. Before any more, no more 9-11s, no more destruction come, no more cities burned down, no more people going to eternity. We need to get a hold of God right now before judgment continues. And God's looking for someone to do that. And so we need to pray and seek Him because He wants to do it. Oh, He wants to do it. And we see that He cried out and He prayed and He was an intercessor. He's an intercessor. He was a, a type of Christ here. See, Christ come between men's sin and a holy God. And Christ came on the cross and He reached to a holy God, He God Himself, and He reached to a sinful man and He was able to pull us together through His cleansing blood and reunite a gap between us that was never going to be able to be fixed by you and me. And He paid the price. And so we see here Nehemiah was praying, God, 
Fill the gap. God, do a work. And so he was praying and calling. Do you know that this, this book is a book of prayer? Twelve different times it's recorded the prayers of Nehemiah. He understood the power of prayer. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't want you to know how powerful prayer is. That's why we're calling for extra prayer. That's why we're moving and pushing in for intense more prayer, even in our service. Why? Because prayer is powerful. The most important thing that God gives us is that we can pray. We don't have to sit back and just wait and hope things happen. We can get involved and we can call out on a God who hears us when we pray. And he responds when we pray. And he delivers when we pray. And so Nehemiah knew this. Twelve times he prays. And we see that this, is, this was the first of twelve prayers. So God used him to intercede. God used him to pray. He wept. He mourned. And he continued to pray. And we see that God. this is what God wanted him to do. This wasn't just a coincidence. This is what God was wanting. Someone to stand in the gap. Someone so that he could do the work. God does the work. All we got to do is just humble ourselves before God and call out on Him to do it. Yeah. God will do the work. We don't have to do it. He'll use us. Yeah. But we can't do it. He does the work. So let's go on. So we see that. So it, can, can one person make a difference? Absolutely. But God will burden your heart. God will open your eyes. God will anguish your spirit. God will place you in the gap. You know what else He'll do? God will encourage your soul in the midst of your intercession. You know what He was seeing while He was praying here? He started remembering who God truly was. He's worshiping God. We already see Him. He's calling out for mercy. And, and we see in verse 8 that He starts telling God. God, by the way, God loves this. God, I, throughout Scripture, you need to realize this. This is why memorizing this word is so important. God doesn't need you to tell him who he is, but he loves it when you do. He loves it when you do. You, when you're, you're stand, it's like we take that word. This word's powerful, okay? The enemy doesn't want you to know this because it's powerful. It, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And when you come against Satan, just like he came against Jesus, how did Jesus defeat him? With the word. With the word. And so how can you defeat Satan? With the word. He wants you to stand on this. If it weren't for messing my nice Bible up, I'd lay it down and I'd stand on it. I don't want to do that. But that's what He wants, that's what he wants you to do. Stand on those promises that He's given you. Stand on those things and believe that. He wants you to let and say, God, you, you promised and you, you come through. That's why when I'm praying for the sick tonight, I said, you promised, Lord. Uh, Lord, you promised. Your name's above every name. And Lord, you promised that you would heal. You're still a healer. And we trust. So we believe it. You said, you know, bring the sick and, and, and call for the elders and they shall be healed. Well, we believe that. We still believe it. Because God promised it, right? Verse 8 is doing this. It says in verse 8, Remember, God, remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. We're talking about the Logos, God. Your word saying, if we transgress, yes, this is true. You've already done it. I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Lord, it's true. We believe it. We deserve it, God. We deserve, I deserve it. We all deserve it. That's what he's saying. But he don't stop there. And it says, but if ye turn unto me, to God, and keep my commandments, if you turn your heart back to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though thou wert of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these, can we say this in, about our country? Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast remembered are redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. This is the nation that you raised up. This is your people. This is your heritage. 
This nation has always stood. The enemy comes against this great nation because it's always been known that this is a country that God raised up. That great, the most great power of Great Britain and the whole world that conquered the biggest part of the world at that time was not able to defeat us. Why? Because God was our God. And because we, we, we loved God and we put Him first and we trusted in Him and He gave a bunch of farmers with guns that were, in, uh, that were insufficient, He gave them a bunch of farmers the ability to stand against a great, mighty military power that the world was not able to resist. Why is it? And throughout history, over and over and over again, God has shown His mighty faithful hand to this nation. This nation represents the things of God. And right now, the enemy is trying to push it out to where there, we're a, to God's a byword in this nation. So that's why it's such a, that's why every one of these decisions that's going on, who is in the Supreme Court or whoever, whoever we elect, it's so important because it's going to take our nation to a direction to where we move toward God or away from God. I mean from the top to the bottom. It's important that we trust God to give us wisdom. So we see that he, uh, that we see that he encouraged himself in the things of God. God will give you faith whenever you stand in that gap. God didn't put you there because he wasn't he just going to pour out his wrath and he just wanted you to be. God puts us there so that he can use us to try to turn. And if they'll listen and if people will pray and if people will seek God and they'll listen to what he's saying, God will turn people's hearts. And God will do them. And so all of a sudden he had courage because he said, God, you did what you said. You did exactly what you said. Now, you also said you'd give mercy. And God, my heart is, you know, my heart's towards you. And God, I know there's a remnant of people whose hearts are towards you. And there's people that went back to rebuild that temple. And there's some good people that's in my family. Lord, they're there. God, you said if you, we turn our hearts toward you, you do the work. And I'm trusting you to do it. All of a sudden, faith fills his soul. Filled his soul because he knew God was able to do the work. Hey, we can't. He can, right? Yeah. So we need to see before. And we're almost done here. So we see, can God just use one person? He can if he can burden your heart, if he can open your eyes, if he can anguish your spirit, if he can place you in the gap, and he will encourage your soul by faith. And finally, you know what he'll do? He'll raise you up. He'll make you the person he can use. He, we, we're not that person that we have to go through all this. You don't just, it wouldn't it be nice if God just give it to you and you just woke up and said, whoa, I've, something's different about me today and you already had the answer and you knew what to do and it was just go out and take the strongholds and, and go out and win the victory and God's, it'd be, you know what? God wants us to depend on him through the whole process. God doesn't want us to do anything in our, to, if I did that, I'd be thinking I did it. If I got up and I did something, no, God knows if he does anything in our lives, the only way we're going to know who we're coming from is every step of the way. If we're on our knees, crawling before him, saying, God, you've got to give me the strength. God, you've got to give me your favor. God, you're going to have to give me the wisdom. God, you've got to do this. And as we do that, and God keeps taking down strongholds, and we keep praying, and all of a sudden, faith's rising up, and man, all of a sudden, our faith is stronger, and God can do even more. Why? We learn to trust him throughout the whole process. God wants to move. But he had, it isn't going to be you and you. It's not going to be somebody that we, that's somebody going to get up in a, uh, on the news and make a big proclamation. It's not going to be somebody to get out there and give a great speech and all of a sudden people's hearts going to turn back. No, it's going to take a nation getting on their knees to God, crying out to God, and then all of a sudden God will do the work. He'll raise up the right people. He'll do it just like he did here. He'll do it here. Verse 11 says that he had a heart to stand in the gate. He wanted to be the person God used. He was willing. He knew he couldn't do it himself. Verse 11 the last verse we're looking at tonight says, Oh, Lord, I beseech you, I plead with you, God. Let now thine ear be attentive 
to the prayer of thy servant. Lord, hear what I got to say. It's a scary thing what I'm getting ready to do. If you knew what he was getting ready to do, it is scary. And to the prayer of thy servants. He's talking about not just, Lord, you don't hear my prayer. There's more people praying. Hear us, Lord. Hear us. Who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. What's he talking about? The Lord raised him up. But he realized, just as we read last week, Esther had to have God. They, they fasted, right? She fasted. Three days. Had everybody fast. Because she knew she walked into the king's presence and he didn't hold out that scepter. She was dead. Just the same thing right here. He was going to come into the presence. He knew on his face he was so troubled by what was going on. If you read the next chapter, you're going to find that when he come in his presence of the king, he knew his face was going to rat him out. How many is like me? If you got trouble, you can't hide it on your face. It's there, right? You know. You can try to smile, but you, somebody says, What's, you know, what's wrong with you? You can tell. Somebody, you know, something's down. Something's not right. I can't hide it sometimes. So you'll see it. So I pray God help me with that. But, uh, and some of you may be the same way, but this is the way he was. And he knew his heart was so heavy, he couldn't fake it. He knew he, was, he needed to go do his job, but he knew when he stepped in that king's presence. And, and, and historically, if you come in the king's presence and you brought him down, if you come in there sad and, and mully grubbing around about your problems, the king could take your head off. 